I am glad that we came into the house of the Lord today. It's so good to see everybody. Listen, if there's a seat next to you, please go ahead and squeeze in. We have some people still trying to make their way in. We want to get as many people into the sanctuary as possible today. I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online. Uh, can we clap it up for those who are worshiping online? We have a great group of people who are always with us faithfully from all over the nation. We thank God for you being with us today. Well, I don't know about you. Are y'all glad y'all came to church today? Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, listen, I want to jump right into this message. I want to welcome you to the sixth and final week of our series, When You Pray. Now, I can speak for myself that this particular series has been a game changer for me, as I hope it's been a game changer for you. And it's been a game changer for me for one reason, because I believe that even for me as a pastor, as a preacher, as one who has followed the Lord for a long time, this series has been able to allow me to take a lot of the ambiguity out of the subject of prayer. And I don't know about you, but a lot of us have come up through church and different environments where you can be in an environment of power, you can be in an environment of teaching, you can be in an environment where the Spirit of God is very present, but you're just there as a bystander because you really don't understand what you're supposed to be doing. And so our desire is to make sure that we're not just hearers of the word, but we are actually doers of the word also. And the way that you become a doer of the word is by understanding what you're supposed to do. And so as we navigate through this, I want to encourage you, if you have not heard the rest of the messages, even if you did, go back and listen to all six messages after today on our YouTube page, on our uh, podcast, because you want to make sure that you get this equipping that God has for us, because this is an essential part of us being stormproof. Somebody say stormproof. We've been saying this from the beginning of the year, uh, that God has really given us instructions through Jesus, even through the Sermon on the Mount, that he's really given us instruction line by line on what it looks like to have the essentials of the Christian life. And one of the essentials of the Christian life is knowing how to pray. And so as we've been navigating through this, Jesus says, if you will practice these things that I tell you, if you will get, take a hold of these, then you will be able to be stormproof. And so what I know, even as we just contended with some things in the atmosphere just now and some of the spiritual warfare that we deal with on a regular basis, this message is really to equip us to make sure that we're able to walk through the storms. And I would venture to say that some of us are walking through storms even right now. And the reason why I even press that out there is because when you come in church at times, you would be tempted to not act like you're going through anything. But a transparent body of believers and a, a faith-filled environment of believers is able to say, yes, I'm going through things, but I understand the equipping that I need to make sure that I go through those things. Did y'all hear what I said? You can be going through something and you just kind of sit there passively. But God desires, even through his word, for us to be equipped so that when we're going through, we readily recognize that we are going through, that we are on our way somewhere. And so today we're on our way somewhere, and we've been really focusing on prayer. And I want to just kind of come full circle and bring this back around to some of the things we said early in the series, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In an attempt to really make it simplify what prayer is, I gave kind of a simple definition. And I said this. This is in your notes. If those, those of you who are new, y'all can go ahead and put the slide up for the YouVersion Bible app. I want you to be able to follow along and save this because these things that I'm going to share today, they are essential for us to walk through. And so as you follow along, go ahead and save it and make sure that you're in, uh, engaged fully. Here it is. I said this earlier. What is prayer? Prayer is simply communication with God. It's communion with our creator, 
and it's essential to the Christian life. Let me say it again. Prayer is communication with God, it's communion with our creator, and it's central to the Christian life. And we made this statement early in the series that the quality of your prayer life dictates the quality of your life, which means it's not enough just to pray. I'm glad you started praying, but it's not enough just to pray. You have to pray in the right way. And so this is why Jesus taught us and kind of set the tone on how not to pray. And so let's go in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says this. He says, and when you pray, say when you pray. pray. He said, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. And assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Now, when I read that, I quickly ask myself, if God knows what I have need of before I ask, then why do I need to pray? And I would venture to say a lot of us probably have that question. And I was having a conversation, a really great conversation with someone this past week who attends Victory Midtown, and they made this strong statement. We were having a very transparent conversation. They said, listen, I love God. I love Jesus. I really want to do all that God has called me to do. But if I'm honest, I need to say this. I know I'm supposed to pray, but I just don't pray. And if we were really to take an inventory of what we know to do versus what we actually do, there would be a gap in between a lot of those things. And what I know, even as I was having a conversation with him, is that we often put our energy into things that we will see immediate dividend in. Many times we will press in and we will put a lot of energy into those things that we see immediate results. Why? Because we live in an immediate gratification culture. So this means when we don't see something overtly showing that it has results, we will have the temptation to kind of say, oh, that's not working. But what I want to let us know in this very sober moment is that it's not about something immediately. God is not a genie in a bottle that when you rub, you know, the Bible, now things are going to go poof and all your problems are going to go away. But I can guarantee you when you are steadfast, immovable, abounding in the word of the Lord, you can have some things built on the inside of you while things are cultivating to come and manifest on the outside. And so as we're navigating through this today, I really just want to set the tone because as I give this message today, I'm not trying to excite you. I'm not trying to hype you up. Why? Because there's a whole lot of hype defeated Christians in the world. There's a whole lot of people who come to church, lift their hands, happy, running, shouting, you know, hitting the altar, all those things, and you walk around not able to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. And so I want to just kind of treat today. Is that all right? I'm going to just teach a little bit. I know myself, so I'm probably going to get a little excited, but if y'all would just bear with me, I need y'all to lean in for the whole service. Amen? So let's walk into this, because as we walk through this today, I want to incite you to change. So let's take notes on these few things here. There's some important insights that I want to give us on prayer to really set the tone. And the first insight I want to give us about prayer is this, is that praying in private is a sign of a real relationship with God. 
Praying in private is a sign of a real relationship with God. Now, some of you may be like, that's a very simple statement. What does that even mean? What it means is that nobody prays in private that does not really love God. Nobody, when they're by themselves, when nobody's watching, when when there's not a group of people, when it's not corporate prayer, when it's not Sunday morning, no one goes to the Lord and lifts their hands and prays or, or gets on their knees and takes that time if you really are not trying to connect to God for real, for real. Why? Because when we don't connect with God privately, it's as if we're doing this thing of, you know, we have a bae, we have a boo, our husband, our wife. It's like you having that person that you say you love, but you only give them compliments on social media. You only post stuff publicly and you never tell them privately. It's like you, you tell them about how good they look and, you know, how much you love them, but they haven't heard that out of your own mouth for three weeks. And so what this does is that it creates this chasm and this gap of, are you really who you say you are? Do we really have the relationship that we say we do? Or are you just putting on for other people? Because it's great that we come in here and lift our hands. It's great that we have corporate prayer. But I want to let you know, praying privately is where the things change. Praying privately is what actually builds an environment of public power in God. Write this statement down. Private prayer yields public power. Private prayer yields public power. And this lends to the second insight that I want to give us, and it's this. Praying consistently is a sign of real dependency on God. Praying consistency, consistently is a sign of real dependence on God. What do I mean by that? When you pray consistently, what you're saying is that every single thing in my life depends on your power doing it. That, yes, I might have been given some some wisdom. God, you may have made me smarter, gifted in these areas, but I don't want to fool myself into thinking that I can do this by myself. Have you ever had this situation where you don't think about something that's critical to you until you realize it was critical to you because you don't have it anymore? Let me make it very plain. Have you ever kind of been walking around, you're feeling good, you stump your toe? You stump that one little toe and your whole body is a wreck. And you pay no attention to that little toe until now you're limping, now you're slow, now you can't do different things. Why? Because when we're not dependent on that thing, we think we do it all by ourselves. Even this past week, as I've been kind of having this navigation of even a little struggle with my voice, you better believe I was taking a lot of attention. I've been drinking tea all week. I've been drinking all these. I've been asking for the prayer warriors to pray. They all know. Y'all been praying. Thank you very much for praying. But until you realize you need something and you depend, sometimes you don't put the attention on it. And so we have to be consistent in our prayer, which leads me to the third thing. Prayer and praying the word is a sign of your faith in God. Praying the word is a sign of your faith in God. Again, I'm giving you simple truths, but notice what I didn't say. Not pray your opinion. Not pray your traditional bent. Not pray based on your political bend. Not pray on the good idea or what you just heard in the culture. But pray the word of God. But watch this. You cannot pray the word of God if you don't have the word of God hidden in your heart. And this is the reason why we're talking about these things, why we're slowly taking time to make sure, yes, we want the experience of God, feeling his presence, feeling his tangible presence here, but we also have to balance that with the word, which is going to give us equipping to have victory in our lives. 
And so the only confidence that we will have is when we start in prayer privately and we actually found ourselves in the word. Watch this. John 15, 7 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Not if you abide in what you think is your ideology, but if you abide in me and my word. I need you to write this statement down. This is not in your notes. Prayer is where your relationship with God is established and cultivated. Prayer is where your relationship with God is established and cultivated. And we need to grab this. Why? Because we need to understand as we're cultivating things, cultivation comes in stages. In the same way that establishing and cultivating comes in stages, our prayer lives come in stages. And I just want to share a couple things. Like I told you, I'm going to just kind of teach some things today that I think are going to give us victory as we leave here. But I want you to write these things down. There are three stages of prayer that we navigate through when we get to the fullness of our relationship with God. The first one, and I want to actually give an analogy with this as it pertains to fitness or even health. So the first stage of actually becoming someone of a prayer person is the stage of desire. The stage of desire. Desire means I have a strong feeling of wanting to do something. By a show of hands, how many of us have something in our lives that we don't have right now that we have a desire for? Yeah. We all have certain desires. And the thing is, a lot of people, even when it comes to fitness, have a desire to change their lives and their diet, have a desire to lose some weight, have a desire to get in that dress that they couldn't wear for 15 years. But the challenge is, is that the desire for ice cream and cake at 10 p.m. kind of overshadows that desire. I got some witnesses, some real people in here. And the thing we have to understand is that most people, we need to understand that most people actually think desire is enough, but desire alone doesn't do it. You have to shift from going to the place of desire to going to this bad word that we don't like, discipline. Mm. Discipline. I like to give us a, a place to start from. So the definition of discipline is this in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It says, an orderly or prescribed conduct or pattern of behavior or to impose order upon. What does that mean? That means when you say you want something, that you desire something enough, that you want to bring discipline to it, you're saying, I'm going to impose order on this thing so that it actually reaps the benefit that I'm trying to get. Because if you never impose order on a thing, you're just having a good wish. You're just having a good thought. Your intentions are good, but you're never going to do it. But what I want to give us is just even a further definition. In my book, Leader Fit, that I wrote last year, I have this statement about discipline because I talk about the fact that discipline is a superpower. And when I said this statement, it really resonated with a lot of people, and I want to share it today. I said this, when someone says that they want to accomplish something, it's not enough to simply have desire. If you want to accomplish anything significant, you must marry your desire with the discipline to carry it out. You must prescribe, predetermine, and set in place a plan of behavior that facilitates your stated desire. In simple terms, what it says, just like Nike says, just do it. You have to do it. You can't talk about it. You have to be about it. You can't just wish upon a star. You have to put your, your, your money where your mouth is. And so as we look at this, that leads me to this third stage of delight, delight. And delight is where now I start to enjoy the results. 
I start to see the fruit. If you put it in natural terms, it's when now you used to not be able to fit in that dress, and now you got a little room. That shirt that you bought last year during summertime, now you don't have to hold your stomach in the whole time while you're walking around. <laughs> Stuff is fitting a little bit better. But it took you going from a desire to a discipline that you saw and expected in that was worth enough for you to discipline yourself that you wanted to get there. How many of us see an expected end with God that we have so much fellowship with him, that we're free and liberal with him, that we can love on him, not just in a church service, but even at home? How many of us will actually put the discipline in place to get up and praise him when nobody else is praising him? We have to be a people who say, I'm not going to just wait for the corporate gathering. I'm going to go to God by myself. Because lo and behold, if you never do that privately, you'll come in here and it'll be a form of godliness, but you'll deny the power therein. And so you have desire, discipline, and delight. And as you go through these, I want to say this, and and some of my trainers in the room, physical trainers in the room will understand this. It's not enough just to exercise. You have to exercise the right way. Many of us have seen that person. They're on a treadmill every day. Look, they're gaining weight. All fitness regimens are not the same. Listen, listen, I'm going somewhere with this. All ways of prayer is not the same. And that's why we've been talking about this over the last several weeks to say there is a form, there is a way, there is a manner that we can have effective prayer. Amen? John Stott says it like this, and I'm going to read Matthew 6 in a second. John Stott says this. He says, it is folly to resist God's will. It is wisdom to discern, desire, and to do it. So when we decide we're going to do it, we're going to go to God in prayer, there's wisdom there. Now, I want to kind of circle around. I want to go back. I kind of want to review, but I want to hit this because I don't want this to be lost in all that we've talked about over the last several weeks. We've navigated through the Lord's Prayer, and I want to read verse 9 through 12 of Matthew 6 and kind of just highlight what we've talked about. So I'm going to run through this really quickly. Matthew 6 verse 9 says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Right there, he's talking about God's character. He's highlighting his character. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There, he's talking about God's agenda being our agenda. He says, give us this day our daily bread, meaning that we trust God for his provision and we put ourselves in a position to actually receive God's benefit in our lives. And then lastly, like we talked about last week, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this was the hard one that some of us are still navigating through, where it says forgiveness is based on how we forgive others is how we're going to be forgiven. Not talking about salvation, but as we continue to move forward and operate in the freedom and liberty of God, we have to be those who forgive as we want to be forgiven. And so today we're talking about this fifth aspect or this fifth demarcation of prayer that is a very important one and is one of the things that I believe we all need to be equipped with. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Let's read it. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, our focus today, and I hope you all are ready, this is something that is going to be a major key for us. Our focus today is how to consistently defeat the devil. How to consistently defeat the devil. Now, when I first say that, there are some people that may get a little bit put off because you're like, well, why are you talking about the devil? Why are you messing with him? He ain't messing with you. No, that's a lie. He's messing with you. But the reality is some of us are ignorant to his schemes and we wonder why we're in cycles. 
And so it would be a shame and it'd be an indictment to us to go through this, to talk through these series, to, to say how good God is and the benefits he has for us and to not make you aware of the schemes that are coming at you every day. And so a major key that I need us to understand, and I told you I need you to lean in in spirit today, is a major key that all of us need to understand, even as we just ushered some people into the kingdom today. As soon as you make a decision to accept Jesus Christ in your life as Lord and Savior, you must know that you have just entered into a spiritual war. I'm going to tell this side of the room real quick. As soon as you say, God, I want to live for you. Yes, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You've now entered into a spiritual war. And the reason why this is important, because the devil, we don't want to talk about him, but we need to just know that he's defeated, but we need to know how to continue to defeat him. Because he will continue to roam around as much as we allow him to. But what a lot of people do as Christians and believers, we don't actually want to engage hell, but we want to actually let hell just beat us up. Because that's why I'm a person that when I talk to people and when people give their lives to Christ, I'm very intentional about not giving this pie-in-the-sky gospel. I'm very intentional about saying, oh, when you give your life to Christ, now everything's just going to be great. No, it ain't all, all just be great. As a matter of fact, sometimes you actually see a, li a little bit more warfare. Some of us have never had any encounters of any adversary until we said yes to Jesus. Why? Because when you did not say yes to Jesus or before you did, the devil knew you were self-checked. He didn't have to worry about you. But now when you say yes to Jesus, he's saying, oh, my God, they're going to awaken to who they really are. Oh, my God, they're going to actually be aware that these things that they've been tolerating in their lives, they actually have a choice. Oh, my God, if they really understand who God made them to be and the benefits that they have, I won't be able to control their lives anymore. So he wants to lull us to sleep. And he wants us to be silent about it. And so I need us to grab something. Here it is. Many of us did not understand and don't understand that there's actually two worlds at play. There's a spiritual world and there's a visible world. And I need you to write this down. This is in your notes. What happens in the visible world is affected by what's going on in the spiritual world. I'm going to say it again. What's happened in the visible world is affected by what's going on in the spiritual world. And a very important thing that we need to understand, and it continues even from last week, something that I learned, and I want you to learn today, is that we need to understand that our real battle is not with people. Our real battle is not with people. Now, listen, I'm not giving people a pass. I know they got on your nerves. I know they gave you the one-finger salute on 85. I know every time they show up, you feel like, man, the whole vibe just shifted. But I need you to know that your battle is not with people. I need you to do something with me for a second, especially if you're sitting next to your spouse. I need you to look at your spouse when you do this. I need you to look at the person next to you and say, you're not my enemy. Some of y'all mumbled it. Y'all don't want to say it. Look, say, say it strong. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not my enemy. And say, my battle is not with you. The reason I need us to do that is because some of us walk around with the spirit of Sealy from the color purple. We're, we're easily offended and we're walking around with that little finger, you know, you're like, until you do right by me. Everything you think of is going to crumble. 
And you're so consumed with what somebody else did, not understanding that the devil is sitting back laughing because you have friendly fire. But we have to understand that the people that are around us that sometimes are being used by the enemy are not our our enemies. Here it is. It says it very clearly in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, our battle is with the evil rulers, with the authorities, with the principalities, and the powers of the unseen world. So you can almost say it like this. If you look at someone and you think you have somebody targeted, that they are the problem, we need to elevate our mindset and be able to say, I I just recognize you're being used right now. I I recognize that you don't even know how you're being used, but I'm going to take the higher ground because I don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I walk against powers and principalities and the rulers of darkness and high places. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to keep it moving because what the devil wants me to do is stoop down to your level. But I'm not going to stoop down to your level. I'm going to stay high and lifted up, seated on the right hand of the Father like my brother Jesus. Because when we do that, we frustrate the devil. I said this last week. The reason why some of us are being in this season, I think this is for this room, why some people are now being reminded and reminded and reminded about the old things you used to do, the old struggles you used to have, is because you've now started to overcome this little ground clutter on the ground. The things that used to trip you up, you're just stepping over it like, excuse me. And the devil knows he can't trick you with any new things, so he uses your past to try to bring you back. But I believe I'm in a room full of people who are of faith, who understand that I have discernment, that yes, you might be acting a fool, but I'm not going to deal with you directly. I'm going to go to my prayer closet. I'm going to start praying for you. I'm going to start lifting up the name of Jesus over your life, and I'm not even going to tell you I'm doing it. That's a major key, because some of y'all are going to walk out of here today and start telling people, I know you're being used by the devil. Don't do that. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying do. You can literally be sitting there, somebody be acting a fool, and you just sit there inside, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. So some of you that when you start acting a fool yourself and somebody just gets quiet, know that they're praying for you right in that moment. (laughs) Here it is. We are literally doing war. And what we have to be sober about is that the devil desires to utilize you as a mechanism because the devil has no power outside of what we give him. But in the same way, God, he created us in a way that he gave us the ability to have rulership, to subdue and have dominion in the earth. And so the same way that the devil is looking for people to use, God is looking for people to use. And we have to decide, am I going to serve the devil or am I going to serve God? And I know that sounds like kind of a little bit extreme, but some of us can look back in our memory and say, in that particular moment right there, I was being used by the devil. And we need to be honest enough to have sobriety and say, God, I do not want to be used by the devil. I want to make sure that I'm in line with you. And so our challenge today is for us to have discernment. Our challenge today is for us not to be afraid of the devil, but to understand we have victory over the devil. Our assignment today is to understand that we cannot uh, any longer unknowingly be those people who are walking in the bondage of the enemy when we're supposed to be walking in the freedom of Christ. And so today, as we're kind of just going through this, I want to give us this insight that Jesus gave us about Satan. 
In this particular passage of scripture in John 8, Jesus was telling uh, even the Pharisees and different people about how with their actions, they were actually being used by the devil, even if they didn't know it. And so he says this in verse 44. He says, you belong to the father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I love that particular way that the scripture says that, because what this tells you is that, listen to this, anytime you hear something that's adverse to what the word of God says, it's the devil and it's a lie. Anytime something is actually speaking against what the Bible says, it's the devil. Anytime the devil opens his mouth, he is lying. And so when we understand that, it will actually make us caution ourselves from entertaining people that are actually being used by him. And so we have to be prepared. Why? Because the devil is very committed to accomplishing his goal. What's his goal? I said this last week. His very job description is to steal, kill, and destroy. And as I was working on this message, I wanted to take a pause right here because I really feel this even as we were breaking through some spiritual warfare earlier. I need to caution some people. Stop dabbling in the things that are of the devil. Stop, stop dabbling with the horoscopes. Stop dabbling with the Ouija board. Stop dabbling with the crystal. Stop dabbling with the sage. Why? Because you are opening a door and giving access to someone who has no actual right in your life. And the problem we have is in this society where so many people want to have all these different ideas, God is saying, why are you trying to complicate the matter? I've told you and given you a model of how you're supposed to operate. So this leads me to the second thing of how we are to consistently defeat the devil. Can we get a lean in real quick? Those online, lean in with me. Everybody lean in. Come on, just lean in. I I need you to hear this because this is a major key when it comes to defeating the devil. We have to understand that the devil knows that he has no power over us. But watch this. He's just trying to figure out if you know that. And so if you don't affirmatively show him that you know that, he will keep trying to scheme. He will keep trying to do certain things. He will keep putting that particular uh, enemy in that package that you actually desire. But we have to be those who say, God, I recognize the scheme of the enemy. And I already know that the devil is defeated, but I have to just put reinforcements in the atmosphere and say, I will not fall into that scheme. Somebody say, I will not fall into that scheme of the devil. Watch this. We don't fight the devil by fearing what he can do. We fight the devil by knowing what we already have. We don't fight the devil by going back and trying to entertain him and say, I'm going to fight you tick for tat. No, we say we stand on what God has already said about and to us. Let me show you a great model of this. The Apostle Paul prayed this amazing prayer uh, over the church recording in his letter at Ephesus. He said in chapter 1, verse 18, he said this, and we should pray this every day. I want to encourage you to start to pray this every day. I believe your wisdom will grow. I believe your knowledge will grow. I believe your abilities will grow as you take this on. Verse 18 says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Watch this. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in in the one that is to come. It goes on to say, and he put all things under his feet. Where? Under his feet. What that means is that he's standing on it. He has authority. He put it under his feet. He's not even having to deal with it. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of all things to the church. Simply, what Paul is simply saying is, I need you to start praying that you get enlightenment of what your benefit package is as a believer. I need you to stop growing and kind of dealing with the devil and all this stuff over here that you already have a victory over. But I need you to know that you have a benefit package that you're supposed to actually lean into. And the reality is that some of us, we would have the victory, but we are self-checked. We would have the victory, but we're not tapping into our benefit package. And so as we look at this again, Paul, he he reiterated this with his spiritual son, Timothy, when he wrote this letter to the members of the church of of Colossae. He said in chapter 2, verse 15, and having disarmed the power and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What he's saying right here is that Satan and his demonic powers have already been defeated through Jesus and the cross. I need to say that very clearly. Satan and his demonic forces have been defeated by Jesus at the cross. And the reason I'm saying that very sober is because some of us, if we're not careful, we'll believe this old thing that as a believer, you know, we're subject to the things of the devil. You are not subject to the things of the devil. The devil has no power over you. Can I say it one more time? The devil has no power over you. Listen to this. The only authority that the enemy has in your life is what we allow him to have. The only authority that the devil has in your life is what you allow him to have. And this is why through our prayer lives, this is why we have to stand strong on his word. This is why we can't take these gatherings on a Sunday or or small group. We can't take them casually. We have to know that we are literally in a war, y'all. And every time we step into the presence of God, he's equipping us to say, I gave you the victory. And so as we grab this, when we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we're taking intentional preparation for a war. And every time war happens, even if you look at it in the natural, each side is scouting to see where the weak spots are. Each side have people strategizing to see, where can I get entry? Where did they leave that door open? That number that they were supposed to delete that I told them weeks ago, are they still texting that person? This particular environment that I told them to stay away from, are they still allowing themselves to go in it? We have to be people who understand that the enemy is prowling roaming about to see who he can devour. And we have to be careful not to make it easy for him to eat us up. So this last one that I want to give us today as far as how we consistently defeat the devil is this. We have to understand that, yes, he's actually had this scouting report out, but the battlefield is right here in our mind. 
The main battlefield, the primary thing that the evil one looks to do, he tries to attack our mind, and his primary method is through temptation. Have you ever wondered, like you've been in church, you know God is moving, you've been lifting your hands, it's been a great worship song, they have sung their butts off. And you get this thought in your mind, and you're like, am I really thinking that in church? Can we be honest? It's because, watch this, and this is for somebody today, you're even being tormented right now while I'm preaching. Now, God knows, but the devil knows that if you get this truth, he won't be able to distract you anymore. But you're so close to making a full submission to God that he's like, if I can distract them a little bit in their mind, they're going to actually leave this place of power and not receive the power. So the battlefield is in our minds, and we have to grab this in James 1.14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. See, the thing that we need to understand is as, as the devil comes with temptations, he's only able to attach to something that we already put out there. That's why when I said earlier, when you overcome certain things, he can't come back and try to do that thing again. But here are three primary ways and areas that temptation comes. It's in your word. I'm going to give you a reference for it. It's through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Say this with me. Say the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. Can I just pause for a minute? If we're sober and you really just look around, this world is passing away. The stuff that you, you know, look at and the stuff that tries to get our attention, it's just temporary. God is saying this world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. I'm, I'm slowing this down for a minute, even more than I thought I was going to, because Kendra and I, as we've been praying for you, and we've been, even been talking about this with our staff, we sense and feel a true spiritual transformation in this church. We sense and we feel that we have a congregation of people who are not just coming to see somebody on Sunday. We sense and we feel that we have people who have said, I have been playing church for too long. I have been kind of going by the way for too long. I want change in my life. I want victory in my life. And I believe I want it now. Do you want it? I slow that down because if we really want it, we now can know how to model victory over the devil. Because here's the thing. You still are going to get tempted. Can I just be sober real quick? You are going to get tempted. Some of y'all, before y'all walk down the steps right here at Victory Midtown, you're going to get that text. What you doing? <laughs> I command you in Jesus' name to block them if you know that it's supposed to be blocked. But here's a guy. Let me just show you something. Again, what I love about Jesus is that he often shows us a pattern of how he wants us to overcome something because he went before us. And in Matthew chapter 4, he shows us the way that he actually came against temptation in the desert. Verse 1, it says this. I'm going to kind of just narrate through this quickly. Verse 1 says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was tempted. 
And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Let me pause and give you a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. Some of your biggest temptation will come when you're hungry. Some of your biggest temptation will come when you're tired. Some of your biggest temptation will come when you are craving something that you feel has been held away from you. And that's when we have to actually take and put our bodies under subjection and say, God, yeah, I might be physically hungry for that, but the spiritual satisfaction is more worth it. He says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Listen to this. Just because the devil knows that you belong to God doesn't mean he won't try to see if you know that. This was Jesus, the son of God, and he still asked him, you know, if you are the son of God. It says, but he answered and says, it is written. Say, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up on the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Do you see the progression here? See, at first, Jesus was able to answer and just say, it was written. But now the devil comes back and says, okay, he knows the word. She knows the word. I'm going to try to use the word against him. But here's what I love about Jesus. He goes on and he says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus doubles down right here and says, I don't care what you're trying to say. I don't care how you're trying to come. You're not going to get me caught up. Verse 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus says, I love this, away with you, Satan. Somebody say this, say, away with you, Satan. See, there comes a point where you have to stop playing with the devil. There comes a point where you have to say, I've tolerated you long enough. At this point, you need to get on out of here. There comes a point where you say, enough is enough. I plead the blood of Jesus, and you will not distract me anymore. He says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him you shall serve. Verse 11, here's the crux. Then the devil left him, and behold, Angels came and ministered to him. Watch this. He was tempted. He was able to resist. And then angels came. When did the angels come? The angels did not come because he started to burn some sage. The angels did not come and comfort him because he said, I am one with the universe and the universe is one with me. The angels did not come because Jesus had willpower. The angels did not come because he said, I'm going to set my intentions and things are going to be okay. Jesus said, it is written. The only thing that will make the devil flee is what is written. The only thing that will give you victory in the word of God is the word of God. The only thing that will allow you to walk in the freedom and liberty of the Lord is by you stating and knowing what has been written and what is yours to actually use. And so it is written, and I just want to uh, really navigate through these last pieces and just kind of highlight it. These primary areas of temptation, again, the lust of the flesh. He said, turn these stones into bread. What he was trying to do right there is he was trying to say, you can be tempted or your temptation can be satisfied by meeting your physical needs. 
When he said, the lust of the eyes, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world, he was speaking to his ambitions. He was saying, okay, I want to speak to your self-worth. And a lot of times, if we're honest, we get tempted by trying to prove that we're worth something. And then the pride of life, he said, cast yourself off this mountain. He was actually trying to deceive Jesus into being self-reliant. And we need to know that it is okay. As a matter of fact, it's the thing to do to to say, I am not self-reliant. I am dependent on God. And so as we kind of wrap this up, James, he gives us this short statement that describes how this works. He says in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, therefore, submit. Say submit. submit. He says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submitting and resisting are two incredible things that we have to do, but we have to get them in the right order. Because oftentimes what we do is that we submit to our feelings and our flesh and resist truth and wisdom. Oftentimes we know the right thing to do, but we say, I'm just going to try it again. And when is the last time that you tried it again knowing that it was not the right thing and you ended up with a favorable result? We have to make sure we resist and submit. And so as we've navigated again through these five weeks of actually putting our prayers to the test and saying, God, I want to go through this model of prayer. What we've now done is we've now said, I'm going to set the tone. I've worshiped God. That's why we started off by saying, our Father in heaven. Now, hallowed be your name. We've established his kingdom, saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. We've prepared ourselves for God's blessing, saying, God, I'm yielding to your daily bread. We've repented of our sins and gotten our hearts right, saying, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And when we do this, this sets us up to start now having declarations of faith that are not just aimless words, but are things we believe that we are reinforcing the word of God over our lives. And so I didn't want to just preach this message. I wanted us to navigate and actually model it today. So I'm going to ask everybody in the room, those online and those in the overflow, just to stand on your feet for a moment. Because we're going to model this together. This is a time like no other where we have to be so intentional about speaking the word of God over our lives if we want to see victory. And so this first scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, I kind of made it to where we can personalize it because we're going to read it together. And everywhere where it said you, we're replacing me or I because we want to make this personal. I need you to say this because this is something that you can take home and do each and every day. And so take a look at the screen and we're going to read this together. Let's start in one, two, three, say it together. No temptation has overtaken me except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. But when I am tempted, he will also provide a way out so that I can endure it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that as we receive that word, we're taking it on and we believe it. Even with the clapping of our hands, we're saying, God, I will not be subject to temptation, but temptation will be subject to me and the word of God. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Ready? Go. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Lift your hands. Father, I thank you right now that as we confess this over our lives, that the, the battlefield of our minds will not be the place that we lose. 
But God, I pray that we will receive victory, that we will be those who operate in victory according to your word, that the things that have been looming in our minds day after day, moment after moment, will be those things that do not take us out, but we will submit to your word and to your way, and we will overcome temptation now. Father, I'm praying even for the people who have been operating in cycles, that they never thought that they could get this thought out of their mind. I'm praying for supernatural deletion of their memory of that particular temptation, that now, by delivering power of God, you can move them past that hiccup. Let's read James 1 and 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. One more time, lift your hands. God, we're not saying that we won't be tempted, but what we're saying is that we will overcome temptation. Father, I'm praying for the spirit of endurance over Victory Midtown, over Victory Church, that God, you know the plans that you have for us. You have such a big plan for everybody in this room that they cannot afford to trip over a temptation in this season. God, I'm praying right now for grace beyond measure. That even in those areas that we have not been able to overcome before, God, make us anew again. Give us strength and give us power according to your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. This last one here is very important. And in a nine o'clock service, before I read this particular prayer, I walked through this prayer, we made a call for salvation, but I'm thankful that even at the beginning of the service, the devil was caught off guard. And there are people that now are able to come into the family and do this, but I don't want to take for granted that someone didn't miss it. And so can we bow our heads for a moment? If you're in here right now, and I've been preaching this message for the last several minutes, and you're like, man, I want these benefits. Yes, I want to be able to walk in that but I want to let you know you will never be able to do this out of willpower alone. You have to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the empowering one in order to do it. And so if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, can you just lift your hand real quick? I want to pray for you. I see you all over the room. I love the fact that I see hands coming up because we're realizing that no longer can we try to do this by ourselves. Victory Midtown, let's pray this all together so that we can cover those who are coming into the kingdom. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I accept, I accept your sacrifice of you dying on the cross for my sins. Today I repent, which means I turn away from my way of doing things. And I turn towards your way. Today I receive the gift that you've given me where I can confidently say, I'm a child of God and I will live for you. Holy Spirit, help me so that I can live for you and walk as your son or daughter. In Jesus' name. This last prayer that I'm going to pray, I want Alexis to come up. She's going to close us out in a second. But I want to pray this and kind of model this because I want you to be able to take this home and do it. And so one of the most important prayers that you could ever pray over yourself is Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God. And what it's simply saying is that you don't want to leave your house spiritually naked. And many of us, what we do is we go out into the world and then we try to kind of reverse engineer the day because we've not prepared for the day. And so I want you just to follow me and I'm going to kind of touch certain places and and symbolize certain things to make sure that we kind of understand what's happening right now. And so just go ahead and put your hands up like this as a sign of receiving. 
And just follow me along in this prayer in Ephesians chapter 6. The word says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Put your hands on your waist. Father, I'm praying right now that our waist will be girded with truth, that we will understand at our core that we have to be founded on your word and we have to be founded on the truth that's found in your word. And everywhere that we go, we're led by your truth. We're led by your word and we find our stability and our comfort in it. Your word says that we have found ourselves with the breastplate of righteousness. Come on, put your hand on your chest. The breastplate of righteousness, which guards our hearts and makes us understand that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we no longer have to attempt to be saved, but God has made us righteous by his sacrifice. So we are protected and we are restored by God. Your word says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, touch your feet, bend down, whatever you need to do. What we're saying, God, right now is that everywhere the soles of our feet tread, we are carrying your word. We're not those who are carrying gossip. We're not those who are carrying turmoil. We are carrying your word that when we show up, things have to change because we are stepping on the scene. God, I pray right now that above all, we take the shield of faith. Come on, put your hand out. We take the shield of faith. That when the enemy tries to come in and bring things to us, we're able to say, by faith, we know that we are covered. That the shield of faith keeps us from every fiery dart of the enemy. And we thank you right now that we can have comfort and confidence in that. Put your hand on your head. Father, we take on the helmet of salvation. That this battlefield of our mind is protected because our head, our mind is covered with you. And we understand that we will not let anything that is adverse to what your word says seep into our mind and plant a seed of defeat. God, I pray right now for the sword of the spirit that we hold in our hand, which is your word. That we're so equipped with your word that we will not be deceived by the things that are outside of your word. And so with this, we stand in truth, we stand in power, and we say we pray always with prayer and supplication, with confidence in you, that you that have begun a good work in us shall complete it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you accept it, if you know you have the victory, come on, give a shout unto the Lord and put your hands together. God bless you, victory.